Let's spread a song so you can sing along with a special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song's Second Chance Theater, where we recover a topic but with a new guest. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a returning guest who hasn't been on in a while. It's Aaron Marsh, everyone. Woo! Hi, everyone. Hi, Aaron. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm super happy to be back and talk about Cinderella and all her manifestations, or at least the one in 1997. Yes, that's the one we're here to recover. Previously, it was episode number 34, and the guest was Dylan Greenberg. Um, And this is the Brandy, Whitney Houston, Cinderella, the best one, in my honest and humble opinion, I just got to say. So Aaron reached out to me and was like, let's do Cinderella. And there's like 75 million versions of it. So (laughs) what made you want to do a Cinderella movie. Okay, so this this was totally selfish. Um, in my own project and show, I've been covering a series of discussions on the story of Cinderella, predominantly the French uh, Peralt tale and the and the German Brothers Grimm tale, where we're looking at various themes, mystical, magical pieces of folklore that have found their way into the story. And um, while we've been talking about those, of course, you know, I love some of these adaptions. So I've been going back and and revisiting them on film as well. So because that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Cinderella, I know, is like one of the oldest fairy tales in the world. Right. And you can like, I didn't really like delve deep into the Wikipedia page again, but like there's different variations of it per culture. Right. So it traces back like to Asia predominantly. There's a version in, in China, which may be the oldest. There's also a Vietnamese Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a show that I have nothing to do with called Grim Reading. These these two Australian guys who uh, are kind of experiencing grim fairy tales for the first time. And they oh, they they did an episode. They did a two part episode where they um, go back into the history of the various tale types that have come to make like what we call the Cinderella tale. And it's really, it's really interesting. Listen, grim reading. Because what we're about to delve into, maybe who knows, uh, is a like super watered down version. Cause like I was talking with, with a friend of mine and he's like, yeah, she's a witch. And I went, Oh, right. Cause in, in into the woods, they follow more the grim tale where you need she... to know your friend <laughs> we'll talk afterwards but uh <laughs> but there's that um i know it's i know in the grim tale it's a little more gruesome where like they're yeah. cutting off parts of their feet in this movie you kind of do see it with the giant tree outside the house and like yes. that's supposed to represent the mother Yes, and that was really interesting that they put that in in this specific adaption. I appreciated that. And it's supposed to be that like Cinderella gets everything from her mother tree thing. Right, right. 
Um, and also she can, Cinderella can talk to birds. Anyway. Uh, but, but now, um, Grimm, I guess, um, what, uh, transcribed their tale, collected their tale in like the late 1800s. 1857 is is the one that most people know of them. They, they first right. did it in 1812. But Charles Perrault, which is more like what these versions are based on, wrote his in 16 something. So they actually do predate the Brothers Grimm, more gruesome version. Which is what uh, Ever After is kind of based off of. The right, Perot right. One. Yeah. I know through podcasting, I learned a shit ton about Cinderella and re-listening to the last episode. That's all we basically did. And so, but like, let's talk, I mean, was there anything that we missed out in the last episode that is why you wanted to do a second chance? Yeah, you know, it's funny because you'd covered it already. I thought, well, we can talk more about, you know, how this role fits in the uh, genre of adaptions. But you guys got into that a lot in yours as well. Um, Re-listening to it, I was like, did we really talk about the movie as much? I mean, we, we praised it. We loved it. We gave some notes. So there's some, you know, there's some smaller details we'll get into, but you, you uh, did, especially you, John, did like a pretty overarching cover of the topic, which was great. So the one thing that we didn't talk about last time that watching it this, rewatching it for this episode, I was like, okay, so in this movie, Bernadette Peters, the stepmother, kind of like talks down about Cinderella's father. So I'm like, why did you marry him then? Right. And also I feel like the stepsister, well, do you, how do you feel about the stepsisters? Like, are they actually cruel or are they just spoiled brats? I'll quote another RNH and you have to be carefully taught. Well, because there were moments, there were moments where like, especially what is that song? A lovely night. A lovely maybe? night. Yeah. yeah. And also like they're when they're getting ready for the ball, there's moments where like, yeah, they're spoiled and everything, but you're just like, I don't think you're like vicious or cruel or anything. The right. only vicious thing that I can say is like when the prince does his tour of like trying the shoe on and they all block her in the the Yeah. Yeah, the kitchen. What do you think about the step family? I think, so I think, and we see this in other adaptions, um, you know, the mom had two kids to support and Cinderella's dad had a house. Yeah, but like, I feel like in other ones, she's, the stepmother is supposed to be a different class? Yes. Because that's what, I mean, at least in this one, they kind of get into that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. you're a commoner, you're lower than low. And that is that is one of the more realistic aspects they pull into ever after when they start getting into sort of like the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. The court designations and the class roles and things like that, which often gets left out. Have you seen this live, like the stage version? I haven't. And well, I saw the original production when no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's just a callback to our other episode. Um, no, <laughs> after this came, after this came out, um, there was a tour, I think, with Paolo Monteban. And funny enough, Eartha Kitt as the stepmother uh, and Deborah Gibson as Cinderella. Uh, 
And yeah, yeah, Debbie Gibson. I didn't go see it. When they came to Chicago, though, they did go to a gay piano bar in Eartha Kitt and Deborah Gibson did a little thing there. So I went to I went to go see them at the piano bar. What a, what a lineup, Deborah Gibson and Eartha, Eartha Kitt, one night only. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's that's got to be like in your like forever memory bank yeah yeah it's one of the few that survived you pull that up when you're like i'm in i'm in i have a case of the sads let's remember eartha kit and debbie gibson <laughs> i had a few drinks told debbie gibson when are you gonna do a musical cd and then she uh, well so because thinking about this i've seen I think I've only seen the movie versions or filmed versions. I don't think I've ever seen the stage production of. Ha- have you seen the Julie Andrew? Like the I original remember, film of it? I remember seeing that and Leslie Ann Warren's okay. version way back. I haven't covered okay. it yet, people. But I mean, it's the same music. It's just like, you know aren't they both in black and white or i know at least yeah uh, well leslie ann warrens is in color julie andrews was broadcast in color but all we have is that is that the kinescope or something where they put the camera in front of the black and white monitor so we're seeing a really downgraded quality version but that's that's all that's left unfortunately but it was originally broadcast live in color which another cool thing about this i want to this was probably the first new musical written for television and was like it was performed live you know like so there's things in the book that make sense especially if you watch the julie andrews production that makes sense that like okay they have to do this because something else is happening off camera that they're getting ready for you know right and this is like when um when they have recently revived the lives so like they're basically doing a show a performance of it it's not like this, where it's a TV movie. It's a film, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Leslie Ann Warren's was also live, if I remember correctly. Okay. I that's, think so. That's likely. Yeah, that's likely. But I feel like this is the definitive version, in my opinion, of the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. And you could call it nostalgia, but mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Once that movie, like, once I hit play... It was just like amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, this is the one I've seen most of all, definitely. And when before Disney Plus would would track down on YouTube. Per this recording, I was recently not feeling well. I was sick, and unbeknownst to my sister, she was like, "You should watch the Brandy Cinderella." And I was like, "But I have a recording. How did you know?" And she went, "I didn't. It's just a good movie." And she's <laughs> right. That's amazing. She's right. It's such a because then, because then you get to okay. So I broke it down into three different songs on the outline. There's impossible, the transformation, mm-hmm. and then it's possible. Mm-hmm. I know. I think it's like just one big mm-hmm. crack, if you will. But once you get to impossible, you're just like, oh my god, I can't. I can't even. Yeah. You have all these great songs beforehand. Falling in love with love amazing i really like also for that impossible to it's possible because yeah virtually it's the same song but in this since they were modernizing the orchestrations a little bit they waited till it's possible when it's almost like a reprise to 
give it the full M-O-R-N-B modernization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just so good. And like they I feel like they follow the Rogers and Hammerstein of it all for the most part. Yeah. Like, yeah I, but I am no expert on the musical, so I can't really say that definitively, but I can podcast it. <laughs> the what what I thought was um I don't know, different, unique about this recording too, is everything up until like 13 minutes in is all new material. So the first like 13 minutes of the film is all new material. So we have- Really? um, Yeah, we have the shopping excursion and then the sweetest sounds. But the prince is giving a ball is- But then the prince is giving a ball is one, as I want to say, what finally starts at 13 minutes in. Oh, I see. But it takes, yeah. But we have we have a lot of things ahead of there. Not the overture, of course. The the overture, of course, is you know is from the uh, from the actual score. But that whole yeah, the whole shopping scene, the meeting between the uh, prince and Cinderella, some of the banter, some of the banter with the mom and the stepsisters. That's yeah, that's all original creation for this. Version. Right. The uh the song The Sweetest Sounds is a Richard Rogers song from the nineteen sixty two musical No Strings. Mm-hmm. And so and like they also added Falling in Love with Love, which we talked about yeah. on the which, first chance. I, I, yeah, I really like that they added that. You know what? All the additional songs just fit. They do. Like there is no clunker. Falling in love with love actually gives you a backstory, and I mean it showcases Bernie. Bernie, how can you? <laughs> right. Like, who was going to say no to Bernadette Peters singing? Right, right. We could we could have given her more. Another one in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> Just more. Be yeah. like have her duet with Whitney. It's okay. <laughs> whatever <laughs> oh my god no now i now i wish we had that a duet with whitney and bernie oh in the cinderella movie while brandy is singing in the background or something yeah yeah oh my god i want like imagine imagine okay imagine if you will i'm gonna pitch this to you even though this movie is long done and in the can and everything imagine the quintet from West Side Story style song, but it's this cast. And you so you've got Brandy singing something, Whitney singing something, will Bernie singing something. Fuck it. We'll have Paulo Montaban singing. He's got a nice yes. voice. Yes. Yes. And then and then we'll have all the other uh secondary tertiary characters sing something. Like the sisters and the queen and king and Jason Alexander. Which, what is Jason Alexander's accent? <laughs> it's a flat. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm like, no one's really giving an accent, but he is. And, I'm, and I don't understand. And then all the strides, granted, this is 1997, all the strides that this film took towards diversity. And then we have like a bad imitation of some kind of stereotypical accent. I don't even know. I thought, I thought he was, I thought maybe he was going for a Middle Eastern. I don't know. Oh, no. I don't know. But so watching this as well, 
of course I was watching this. Hold on. Let me rephrase. Another thought I had while watching this is that everyone is acting like the stereotypical Disney movie. Do you know what I mean? Like they're doing that weird overacting, but like it works. And I don't know if it's because it's also, again, the hit of nostalgia or if it's because it's a fairy tale musical and like you kind of forgive the fantasy of it. I yeah, I think it's more the latter. It's this heightened reality. It's what we're expecting because we know we're watching, you know, the wonderful world of Disney and also TV movie quality, maybe. Mm, but you like, know, the... I'm more thinking of like Wh- Whoopi. Oh yeah, Whoopi when she's she, she gives the ah, ah, yeah, ah, like you know, she gives all that, and that's like part of her shtick. Yeah, like we've seen it in other Whoopi movies, but. It didn't feel out of place as well. And it didn't feel too stereotypical Disney. There was like some moments of like reality. And so I I don't know what I'm saying, but I just wanted to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I have these thoughts, but we're like going so all over. I don't know where to go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I it's okay. No, it's okay. I love it. We're we're flowing. We're yes, let's flow. <laughs> But yeah, it's so whoopee. The whoopee of it all. I Before the prince is giving a ball, I, I think it was. No. Wait, where did I write it? Oh, yeah. Uh, for prince is giving a ball, I wrote, God bless whomever cast whoopee in a musical. Mm-hmm. She's not the best singer, but like she can carry a tune. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she did in her, like she did in her one woman shows and stand ups and stuff. She used to sing always at least like at least one song sister act as well oh yeah have you seen that uh the sister act the nun no okay it's just it's just a funny image floating around for halloween Uh, (laughs) but like because this is after sister act so i guess they were like well she can sing because she has it she sang some things in that movie she can sing and i don't think the queen sings in the earlier to film versions. I don't think she sings in the score itself. Uh, She doesn't even sing in The Prince is Giving a Ball? I don't think so. No, she sings. And and of course, I could be wrong, but I mean, I don't think the Queen's character in other versions is a singing role. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the stage version, and there's a song called Your Majesty's Yes, that's true. Yes, yeah, that's true. That she's credited, but I don't know in the sounds like yeah in the Julie Andrews version of Your Majesties they basically they basically talk, but but yeah that is yeah that is one that one was pulled into the prince is giving a ball in this version and Jason Alexander just does the whole thing, and so then they also cut the scenes uh, which I thought were funny but. of like the frenzy of girls about the prince giving the ball where, you know, I wish I was a bolder girl. I wish I was a younger girl. And then the uh, little girl, I wish I was an older girl, you know? And, <laughs> and they, they cut all, they cut all that. So it's just the Jason Alexander number. <laughs> we spent, the, the patter of it all is just so good. And, you know, Jason Alexander, when he's singing is great. 
because he's not doing that stupid accent. <laughs> and there's a it's a big production number, which then brings us to Rob Marshall. This kind of started the legacy. Yeah, I believe now Rob Marshall on film. I believe do I um so he didn't direct this one, but he choreographed he it. And is this his first one? I I think so. I think I mean I knew of him from the cabaret roundhouse cabaret before this. But I mean but like first not, movie. But that's it. Yeah, exactly. So then this is the first time I remember seeing him credited on like TV or film. And then from there, Annie. Yeah. And then a big jump from Annie to, to uh, what is that, Chicago? Yes. Yeah. He then did Chicago, which was a gamble because the whole thing was a gamble. Um, right. Like, this is a TV movie. It's not a feature film. Like, musical movies weren't really a thing in the 90s. No, they were dead. Yeah. Yeah. They died in the 80s. And then Chicago was, well, Moulin Rouge was Moulin Rouge. reviving yeah. it. But then Chicago yeah. was a gamble because, like, you have an all star cast and not a lot of people knew about their musical background. And you have a new ish director. Yeah. I was watching this too. And I was really, I got kind of a, a little sad and upset that, like, musicals weren't a thing in the 90s because I wish. I feel like Brandy would have had a stronger career if like she would she did like um like another feature though that was a musical. Cuz like she did w- very well in this. She did well. She did this. She did a film with she uh you guys mentioned Diana Ross in, in the last episode. She actually did a TV movie with Diana Ross as well. I didn't see it, but Brian Stokes Mitchell was in it. Oh. Um no, but I mean, and... like, if if she was, if Brandy was in like a Chicago style movie, you know what I right, mean? Right, right. Instead, in, instead of Maya. <laughs> yeah. Well, not we somehow somehow did everything in the two thousands. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> everything featured Maya. She made her. She made her money, and she's still good, making good her money. Her. Yeah, hopefully. good for her. You know, I think Brandy. So you know that you can't trust anything I say. We, we've established that in past episodes, but I think Brandy had some personal life things that went on that might have played into the trajectory of her career. I mean, yeah, that's also a thing, but this and is then my... there's of course, and then there's of course, you know, change in styles and all that stuff bads, but, but cause she was, I mean, she was huge even. Yeah. I mean, just singer, based on the album, she was, she was huge. She was on Moesha. Yes. Moesha. Okay, but like this is more my like one of the stray thought I had while I was watching it, and like my want for her. Yeah, like, I, 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 I'm not. This is just me being like, let. I wish this happened because she's so nice and she's and she's so good in this, and like she's good. Yeah, she's good. I, I, I yeah, I loved Brandy, and she she played the innocence very well, and like. I mean, we talked about the overacting of everybody. She's obviously the straight man throughout. Mm-hmm. Like, you have all these zany characters and, like, everyone wearing all the colors of the rainbow at once. And she's in, like, you know, she's just being her pure self. And she's in 
um, like a monochromatic subdued palette than everyone when she's in her peasant wear, quote unquote. I mean, I have no other, there is no other way to say that. <laughs> I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump from there into another question you guys raised on the last, uh, the last episode about this, which was why doesn't the prince recognize her? And, and I would even go from there. Why doesn't the, you know, why doesn't her, why don't her stepsisters recognize her at the ball? Right. But, but two reasons, one, fairy glamour so it's magic mm-hmm. uh, and that is like a thing fairy glamour um but two as the brothers Grimm wrote in their notes about the tale that they collected like over 40 variants i think and they were all titled something that translated to the dirty girl so yeah i was about she's, to say but... she's like you know leslie ann warren had a little black rouge but we usually see a very clean and proper Cinderella with the head wrap, but she would have been like covered in soot. Her hair would have been all crazy. You know, it wouldn't have been in her, in her nice braids. So until she went to the ball. So people didn't necessarily know what she looked like under the soot and with the styled cough. I thought about it as like dyeing your hair. So like you're the same person, but you just dyed your hair mm-hmm. and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you look so different. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you could be working with people all the time and then you come in like the next day uh, with like flaming red hair and people are just like, I'm sorry, who are you? Are you new here? You know, I, I do that to people all the time. I was yeah. Like, I was, so if I was looking at you weird, I was trying to figure out if that was you, you know, <laughs> I mean, I. This time around, I gave it a little bit of a pass because I was like, you know what? It's kind of like just changing your style up a little bit. And like, obviously, she's a little more confident at the ball um, or she seems a little more confident than when she's uh, the the Cinderella character. Um, Does she ever say like, oh, you're the guy from the market? She didn't say that, right? No. So and she didn't and, and it's interesting because she didn't know he was the prince when they meet in the market. Um yeah. and you're you're actually getting on two other things that that I did want to talk about. One being the confidence, and then two, like her her relation, I guess, or interest in the prince. And one, I actually think that her confidence and her gaining agency remaining true to her authenticity and like being restored to, I'm going to put this in quotes, like a rightful place is what the story is about. And that it's not a romance story between her and the prince. I don't think the writer who adapted the book for, for this version understood that necessarily, you know? And so then that's why we get a lot more struggles and adaptions, which this is like another tangent we go into later, but adaptions that keep putting more and more, focus on the prince because they have to try to make a connection between them but when when you read the tales she never talks about the prince she wants to go to the ball she wants to be true to herself and Mm -hmm. we get we do still get hints of that in both the new book and in some of the songs from rogers and hammerstein but um this is about her being able to gain her confidence and whitney is there helping her develop that confidence right and because she was even like you didn't need my magic right she says that that is like a very profound line in this disney tv movie (laughs) yeah 
I, and I even think the music in you is is profound. Like that's it now. Not the music is in her because now she has come into her own and she is confident. And of course, in it, it did in in this case take be needing the reflection of that from the prince. You know, mm -hmm. and now she knows that she is beautiful and lovable and all of those things. But now nobody can take it away from her because now it's within her. Right. She and the thing that's interesting about this is that I feel like and I can only speak about this version because I didn't rewatch the uh, Leslie Ann Warren or the sure. Andrews one. But I feel like this one is like. Disney going in like a more feminist route. Definitely. And like, this is like the bridge of the Renaissance period and like this current period of Disney where they're like, you don't need a man period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This one, they were still figuring it out. They were like, well, we still have the man. And, and the first song she sings is about, you know, dreaming about the sweetest sounds or, you know, her, her romance is still yet to come. So there still were some weird romantic things around the story, I think, in this version. But but she's given a lot of chutzpah. But it's it feels like she just wants to, like, leave. She wants to. Yeah. And she and she does. That was I, I, I think that's really cool about this particular film too is that she packs her this is the only one i've seen where she packs her bags and tries to leave she tries to run away and then we get that nod to the grim version where she steps out and she talks to her father in the tree uh -huh. and be the mother it should <laughs> be, be but mother. you know it was a nice yeah but it was it was a nice nod to it and then what the prince's porter or you know the prince's carriage or whatever you know actually intercepts her while she's running away at the end, you're talking. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was more. See, I didn't read it as that her she was running away. I felt it was like she just wanted to. Like she was just doing things, you know. Or I don't know what she, what was happening. <laughs> she got locked into the kitchen, and she packed a bag. I don't know how she got out, but she she went through the window. I guess. <laughs> you're right, because there's. <laughs> the the callback of that of this scene is that um how the meat cute of the prince and cinderella went down and goddamn horses trampling over things yeah yeah <laughs> oh do you mean you thought she was just like out doing work like her yeah like her chores i don't think so because she she has a she has a like a suitcase or something on the kitchen table and she says, I, I, like, I just can't stay here anymore. Or, I'm sorry, father. I just can't do this anymore or something like that. Oh, I must I, have blacked that line was, out. I think she was leaving. And and um, can we, can I mention how they live in a cheesecake factory? <laughs> that house is huge. And then like the kitchen is Little Witch Cottage. But then it, once you go through those double doors, you're in the cheesecake factory. <laughs> Listen, we're in fairy tale land. That's all I can say. And like, and what's interesting is like they are, um, they're doing fairy tale. Period. There is nothing that denotes yeah. like a time frame that we're in. Where there's the village with the villagers that are in all the colors and patterns and prints and everything. 
And then you go to the ball with those hideous gowns. I'm sorry. They are gross. But I was just like, come on, guys. You're, do- you're doing great. There's some things that, that we could make it perfect. We could make, yeah. it, make it like literally no notes. I mean, I wrote down. So apparently I went very gay on some of my notes. And for impossible, I just wrote slay. No notes. Tens across the board. Like, I mean, honestly, is is there anything that you could have done to, like, improve that whole section? No. No, no. It is perfection. But just that one section. The rest, I've got some notes about the other ones. (laughs) Um, So I didn't ask you this. I asked Dylan last time, is this, like, your version of Cinderella? Or do you have... I grew up with the Disney animated film and I still like it. You you know, I haven't seen it in in years. I still like it. I like the score of the Disney animated film a lot. Um, And I like how it feels sort of golden age Hollywood version of Cinderella, even though it's animated, Mm -hmm. like, like Snow White almost looks like, a silent film slash German impressionistic film in color and animated. And then this looks very much like 1940s Hollywood in mm-hmm. color and animated, yes. you know, like I, I really like that style. Um, but, and I, and I saw this when it, you know, when it premiered on, on ABC and I was excited. I liked Brandy at the time. Um, I still do. I mean, but you know, yeah, it was 1997. <laughs> But I, I have always returned to this one. Like I said, before Disney Plus, this is one I would find myself searching YouTube for to just play in the background or something. I, I do enjoy it. And I like the cast recording of the Broadway adaption a lot as well. Hmm. But I, like, I, I mentioned I didn't see it, but I do like it. But out of all the different versions of Cinderella, oh, so hard. it doesn't have to be a musical. Um, I mean, I... I'm torn between this one and Ever After, personally. Same, same. Ever After is really up there. Honestly, I I want to say probably the best is Slipper in the Rose, but I don't watch it often. I've probably seen it like twice. Um, and and when I saw Ever After, I actually thought it was almost like they took Slipper in the Rose and they took the music out. And it's been a long time mm. since I've seen Slipper in the Rose, so I don't know if I was you know, how clear my thinking was when I, you know, when I thought that, but, but I do always remember that was my reaction was that it was like slipper in the rose without the music. That's interesting. I didn't even think of that. Maybe because the, a lot of the reviews forever after were about how, how it was the first to go so much into the prince's plight. Although now like getting ready for this and going back through Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, I think it came from here, like where they first start going into the prince's plight about, you know, poor me. And then also like with him, they also take like a feminist approach where it's just like, I'm not going to marry any old person. Let me make this deal mother, you know, like where we're not, you're not marrying me off to just some girl. It has to be like, the one I want and everything as well as if I don't find her at the ball, I'm going to find her my own way. It feels like it's not, they're not treating women like property. It's more like, you know, cause I feel like that's, that's what's happened in other versions of this where, yeah, where that's it's a great point. easily like sway into like, 
um, you're of marrying age, my good boy, and we're dying, so you have to marry. Just pick somebody. But and like this even, one, at least. He even um, just describes how, you know, what he's looking for isn't necessarily, you know, a trophy. You know, even if it's what he wants, it's not that he's looking for a trophy wife. You know, he's looking for someone to talk to. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's, and- yeah, yeah, that's huge. And like it, it's it. It also feels like um, it's a conversation of arranged marriages versus um, love marriage or marriage. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't know. I think that's what it how it's called because there are some cultures and so and some time periods where they just arranged a marriage, and you're like, I guess I have to learn to like you. Yeah, yeah. But kudos to Disney, '90s Disney, getting it. And like the cast is amazing. I really enjoyed the stepsisters lament. Um, I did too. Cause that, that is like a masterclass in clowning. It feels like. Yes. Those two women just like chef's kiss. Amazing. And that's a number that seems to get shifted around in various productions of, of this as well. Really? And I, think it, I think so. You know, it, and I, I, I yeah, I think so. And I like, yeah, I like how they, where they said it. I think they said it where it was originally written for, but I like where they said it. And then, you know, yeah, the antics of them spying and all of that. I think that was really well done. Is there anything else though you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? Um, I was surprised both you and Dylan thought Do I Love You was the most dated number. And and in fact, in that you even you even juxtapose that with, preferring 10 minutes ago which i think sounds way more operetta of course this is all opinion but um yeah i do i love you i guess that'll come later in the discussion when we talk about playlists but i think that's one of my standouts from the score i also want to say you know the score it's not carousel but (laughs) Right, I actually, but I actually feel like I'm appreciating it more and more. The more that you know, the more that we're going through it, Um, and like I said, I I really like what they did with it for the for the Broadway revival. But I'm surprised how, if you think about it, it, operetta the the original score actually is you know without without um, falling in love with love, Um, and when they wrote it, it was still kind of like how they were writing for a medium that maybe they didn't know what to do with because this happened in 57 and then Cole Porter's Aladdin in 58 also original for television I'm sorry what <laughs> Cole Porter's Cole Porter's Aladdin starring Salminio I have never heard of this oh it's not kiss me Kate uh-huh but um but we could we could do that next did an Aladdin Yes. Oh my God! What did that sound like? Um. Well, well maybe we'll do it next. Who knows? We'll yeah. It yeah. And then um, th- there is a there is a number from that both Barbara and Patty Lapone have recorded, like separately uh, from Cole Porter's Aladdin. Um. But yeah, do I love you? I actually do think they dropped the ball a little bit on what they do really well at, which is that conditional love song. 
because you have the problem in mu musical theater that that the leads have to fall in love in five minutes. And they always got around with it by them saying, well, it's like we're falling in love or if I loved you or people will say we're falling in love as a cover for them, you know, like suddenly falling in love. And in here that happens. We have, do I love you because dot, dot, dot. But in the book they're, they've already established that they've fallen in love with each other on site at that point. So it's not a conditional love song that RNH uh, really did excel in. Um, but I, I like that one. I think it has, I think it has a mysteriously minor key. I'm not able to like bring it up to my memory right now. I, I just wrote down for it. See Whoopi can carry a tune. <laughs> right. She sings that she, they give her a reprise in this. Yeah. And I was just like, and I can't really remember it. There's so much that's going on in my brain. Okay, right so I so I sent you I sent you a link because not that I think it's the best recording at all. I think it's funny, um, but there was a compilation of various Cinderella stuff where "Do I Love You" is orchestrated in a very Patrick Patrick Swayze. She's like the wind style. Um. And they have a musical theater performer, Jason Gray, singing it, who I think is really good uh, vocalist. He probably not the right vocalist for that, that instrumentation that they were going for, the style they were going for. But it's worth a listen. It's fun. It was nice. I was, I, I thought it was. Oh, from, you heard it. Yeah, you heard it already. Yeah. I listened to it. I thought it was from the stage version, though, but I guess I'm wrong. It's it's this compilation where they they mix like Disney Slipper in the Rose R and H a little bit Got of Prokofiev it. all of it together. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, and I'll probably put it somewhere uh, when I put <laughs> when we when we do this. But, oh, okay. Please put a uh, please put a sax a sexy sax solo on that. Uh, let's get into Strap and Flat, shall we? Yes. Yes. Sharp. Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we did it like it or thought it could change, it's flat. And we're going to see if John agrees with it. He does. But we're going to hear what my new sharps and flats are, because that's what happens. You see something different in the rewatch of it. So, Aaron, the floor is yours. What do you want to start with? Oh, shit. So I wrote down a whole bunch. Well, I, no, I... I text a whole bunch to onto my phone and then I lost them. Oh I, no. As I was watching it, I had a lot of flats and I was like suppressing them because I was like, you can't come on and talk about this beloved piece of everybody's childhood and like read it, you know? So, so you know what? But <laughs> honestly, go for it. Cause it's well, your, like said, it's I, your, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll remember many of them now anyways, but let's say a sharp. Let's say a sharp. No, let's say a sharp. So okay. um, Paolo Monteban, never heard of him before this, you know, before this premiered. And and yeah, he I think wow. he had a great voice. This movie introduces him. It says Perfect. it. And introducing Paolo Introducing Monteban. Paolo Monteban, legacy of the Monteban clan. Uh, <laughs> TV, TV, TV royalty. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, he was great. 
Um, it's funny I sharp him first because how can we not sharp Bernadette Peters? And yes, that falling in love with love. Also, I want to uh, sharp uh, her looks. She has like this great purple mm. queen of the night wrap with stars. And I'd like to sharp her viciousness when it comes out. I think it was really effective. Yeah. Such as that common mark. Bernie doing Bernie. Yeah, she was effective. You mentioned the costumes a lot in the previous episode. They're gorgeous. They're fun. They're They're fun. They're gorgeous and fun. And it set the tone for Disney, I think. I feel like. Did you catch Victor Garber's nearly floor length, like fuchsia? No, I didn't. Jacket. I think it's the first time we see him. Yeah, that that I think that's a sharp. <laughs> Help me with a few. No, this is your time. You <laughs> shit. Um, do you want to jump to flats then? No, no, no. There's got to be more sharps. You haven't even gotten to Whitney yet. I mean, yeah, Whitney. Okay, pump- so I-, I will. I'll jump in. I usually because usually with second chance, I let you get uh, the guest uh-huh. go first, and then I'll go with both sharps and flats. But I just start my new sharp, and I'm surprised I didn't do this the first time. Is the whole cast just everyone? Everyone understood the assignment. We were all in the same movie. I mean, uh, like I said, Brandy was the straight man in this, with everyone else being a zany wackadoo, but like it still felt the same. Um, and I know it's kind of a risk casting her. Well, I don't know if Moesha was up prior to this, but like casting her and Whitney, who aren't really actors, they're more singers uh, at this time. So, I mean, and they did a great job. Um, I also, this is follow me on this. I sharped the fairy dust that comes out of Whitney's hands. Yeah. You no. Know, it I like the spirals. It felt original. It felt different. Like it also felt so 90s. Very. You know, I really appreciated that it wasn't just like little pings and stars and things like that. Like they were like, "No, we're going to have some fun with this." And that was really it for my new sharps. I like I like the car- the carriage stays like a giant pumpkin when it becomes a carriage you know what i mean like it's turning gold and ornate and all that it's still a big pumpkin that was really cool yeah we have to sharp we have to sharp of course whitney i'll just say vocal performance we'll say it's probably good she aged out of cinderella because it wasn't 80s whitney anymore but it was amazing it was amazing and i'd like to sharp the producers who stood their ground and forced Disney to keep Brandy as a Cinderella and have an African-American Cinderella. That may have been Whitney because Whitney is a producer on this. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. And and she had, she did have some support, but I know it was, it was controversial at the time. And there was talks about other people playing the role. Okay. We're here. (laughs) I I thought about this while watching the movie. Because, you know, with um, Halle Bailey. Yes. With um, Rachel Ziegler uh, playing Snow White. With all this other casting that's happening in these adaptations that they're doing. Um, 
we have the internet where people can easily have a thought, send it out into the world and share their hatred with everything. And it got me thinking that in 1997, the internet wasn't really a thing. So I don't know if there was any sort of backlash or controversy as much as it could have been like today. Right. And I, I don't remember backlash. And I, like I said, I remember it being controversial, but that was all rumors about things that happened during production. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember public backlash. That doesn't mean that there was, and you know, I wasn't around for it. And I think that's such a surprising and important point because now more than what, or now 20 years later and almost 20 years later and 25, 26, thank you, 25, thank you. 26 years later. And we've gone in the opposite direction. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's more than the internet. I think that's a big part of it, but I think, I think tolerance has gone down as well. It, I don't know why it's like and that's that's even a shitty word to use like that i'm using the word tolerance but it's like people can disagree with choices you know i'm okay with that but right this movie also was just like sit down shut up and pay attention because they're just playing part we're in a fairy tale land where a magical being can turn a pumpkin into a carriage can you know do a really shitty cgi but we still forgive it transformation of of brandy into that dress the beautiful gown mm-hmm. um at least they're following the rogers and hammerstein version where there isn't talking animals but like we're in a world where it's whatever it can be whoever it can be whoever <laughs> i felt that way about mermaids but some people definitely did not some people you know and yeah. some people that i remember hearing protest the loudest once the film came out they're taking selfies at the theater. It was so good. She was so good. <laughs> so they might, yeah, they might well, hear that, this but, and then they know who they are. <laughs> but that, but that's the thing too, because like it is all the social media. It's Twitter. It's Instagram. It's Facebook. Where like you can easily post, post or share something, and all of a sudden you're creating a controversy over casting which there shouldn't be because it's a fucking fairy tale it's a cautionary tale that's what this is right and the reason i think that point is important as well as is because how that plays out then in in theater so when this came out um like in the previous episode you guys were talking about how ahead of its time it was but in that in that time, there was a big push for theater casting to start um, to start casting along colorblind casting, to start utilizing colorblind casting. But then for Disney to do it on primetime television, of course, was a big deal. Yes, and it seems like things have reverted in maybe Regressed. both medium a yeah. little bit. Yeah, and sometimes it makes sense. I read a review for something recently. It might have been like the television interview with the vampires or something where where the reviewer said like thankfully they did not colorblind cast because they weren't afraid to go into the issues that of race that 
that then were created by how they did cast it. Like, if you know what I mean, uh. if you're familiar with the show, you know, what, you know what I mean, but like, so there is a diverse cast, but it's purposefully casted so that then they can go into the racial dynamics that would have been of that time. So, it, you know, in that instance, then I would get it. But overall, it seems like, you know, after the nineties, after, after all the push towards colorblind casting, after covid when there was a lot of talk about how things were going to change once theater started up again i don't know if people are seeing those changes or not hopefully we hopefully we did have two non-binary people of color win tony's all right that's it (laughs) that's not it point but that's it like there there is we're getting we're we're baby getting there we're yeah yeah Baby steps in in molasses. We're getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, okay, flats. Do you want me to go first so you don't come no, off I as can, a hateful bitch? No. <laughs> I can I can do some flats. Ever since this premiered, <laughs> this sounds so weird. Ever since I like I have weird things about it. Like I like R and H Cinderella. Like I said, it's no carousel, but I like it. But I do feel weird that Disney has this. We must own all things Cinderella. There's something weird about that. And and it's also like this Ever After came out right after and there was like Ever After couldn't be called Cinderella because Disney owns the name. So I don't know. There's something weird about that. And like, whereas Disney also doesn't seem to do much with their own property of Cinderella. Well, it's weird because Snow White is the one that built the House of Mouse. Oh, totally. Not Cinderella. But I think because like you were saying, they were trying to do like the 50s glamour with Cinderella yeah. and they're animated that they see her as more of the forefront of the Disney line and the Disney princess line, which is two, which are two separate things, by the way, found that out. Surprise. Oh, and so. the castle, I think magic kingdoms castle is Cinderella's castle. Yeah. So it's very, so, yeah. But then like, you know, when they made their live adaption, it w- it wasn't a musical. I, I, I didn't see it, but, but, as far as I heard, it wasn't necessarily an adaption of the of the animated version. It was sort of its own thing. The Lily James of, one, yeah, a remake of Ever After, probably. Um, <laughs> I don't oh, with know. the with the look of <laughs> the shit. animated movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just talking shit. But yeah, so there is something weird about I, that. I think I think I would flat Disney for, but it's complicated too because then at least we're getting R and H Cinderella. You know, like, would mm-hmm. it not be being presented to so many people if it wasn't for Disney? Uh, okay. Um, yes, Jason Alexander. Not him as a whole, but the accent, big flat. There's definitely pacing issues with the film overall that I think I would flat. Um, if we go back to, like, the Julie Andrews one, there's very much, like, Cinderella, close the window, Cinderella, Cinderella, you know, and they're they're really mm-hmm. berating her, and here it's... Cinderella, my gloves. Cinderella, my hat. Well, that's and that's why I was like, are they spoiled or are they vicious? Okay, because that that that's what made me feel like, oh, you're not like Bernadette Peters is cruel, but she's also a realist. Yes, and that's how I feel like they took this. The stepsisters, th- there's ebbs and flows. You know, when they're like, oh, especially like, um, oh crap, what's the name of that song again? A lovely night. Like, they're just like, oh, love is love. I love love. Love is in the air. Something I like about that scene, and, and we touched on it a little bit, and I, this can be a sharp, 
is how much they look up to Cinderella and how after her experience at the ball, you can already see how much confidence she's gained because now she's come back and she almost takes like a leader, a leadership position in the family. Um, She has her, you know, she's telling them about her visions and they're all just eating every word until, until Bernadette catches herself in in the rapture until the, you know, the stepmother catches herself and and also realizes. Yes. In this version, it maybe recognizes Cinderella finally. So my new flats are the ball gowns. I hated them. They were so gross. They're just, uh, so like they, they, it looked like some of them were made from fabric scraps of other dresses. Mm. And they're just like, put it together, ball gown, done. Um, it was so bad. It was so bad. And then, and then all the guys are in like the same tux, but they have a different vest and tie. And I'm like, this is, change it up, do something different. <laughs> Um, and then my other flat, new flat, is the prince's hair. It's just so limp. It's not like, honestly, there's scenes where I'm like, you're a fucking prince. Yes. Comb you your hair. It. Yes. I get it. It's the 90s and that was the style. But like, part it. Or like, do a wave or something. You know, just like, show regalness. I would flat in a cool way. I would flat the ballroom scene for for the pacing there as well too. It it does kind of drag out a bit, and there's some funny bits with him dancing with the sisters and the different women. But I mean, yeah, we could step that up a little bit. I I, I think maybe a different director might have you know uh, taken a different approach to it or something. I don't know, but I think that drags a little bit, and. And a final sharp brings us all the way back to the beginning in my own little corner for being such a small, cute number. It's, you know, it, it it's a standout for a reason. And I think it captures some important things about Cinderella's character and why she's able to survive what essentially is an abusive family structure. <laughs> It's not funny. Sorry. <laughs> I, I never. You said the words, and I was just like, oh, right. It is abusive. Even, I mean, we've seen it be more abusive in other versions of Cinderella. But... Right. And I think that's playing into my mind, right? You know, like I can't necessarily disassociate it. Angelica Houston. Yes. Uh, queen. So, and and we know this is Disney-fied too. So it's kind of like, like reading between the lines and the images and all that. But um, in my own little quarter, yes, it's like, this is going to sound weird, but it's like uh, like a Victor Frankl in how he talks about surviving, really surviving not, Nazi work camps because he's he has control over the one thing that they can't capture, which is his mind. And, you know, I, I feel almost silly, like bringing that into this, but that's exactly what the song is about, how they can't control her mind and her dreams. Yes. And she doesn't even dream about simple things like she's well read. She's curious and and adventurous. And, and she knows about being, you know, she knows that there are thieves in Calcutta. You know, she's like she's a smart and well read woman with a strong vision and imagination. She has wants. 
Like, and, and they're not the, and they're not a prince. No, um, I had to look it up because we kept we kept talking about Ever After. That yeah. movie came out a year after this, right? So it would have been filmed already, maybe even. I'm definitely filming. Yeah, so it's interesting because the what's that one stepsister's name? Um, so Melanie Linsky, who plays Jacqueline oh, yeah. in that one, yeah. She, she has the same attitude as I feel like sometimes the stepsisters in this one has. Both of them, yes. Yeah, I think you're right. We're like, but like Jacqueline is a little, is nice throughout. You know, she doesn't, or I don't remember her really ordering Cinderella in Ever After. Um, or even if it is, it's like, can you help me with my gloves? You know, yeah. like how the stepsisters in this are. But like, it's just so fascinating that they, that, these two movies came out a year apart and there's so many similarities between them. And I wonder if, if, okay. So we know that this one was in developmental, I guess, hell for a while. You talked about it on your previous Uh episode. I wonder if the fact that ever after was happening, which they knew because they sent a cease and desist from them using the title Cinderella in the movie. Uh... I wonder if that rushed this into production maybe and i i I never knew that before but you know like i want yeah now it does make sense kind of like what mattel did with rock uh rock star barbie or whatever when they heard about gem and the holograms yes random kind of thing metaphor (laughs) haha um would you add uh do you have any more sharp spots no we, we better call it yeah we better call it uh would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist so here's where i have to say if there had been a cast recording, <laughs> which sadly never happened because the because the record companies couldn't get their shit together. Um, I've had in the past, I've had Impossible in my own corner. Do I love you? I'd probably keep those. I'm going to amend what I said last time because I only listed three. I think I would listen to the whole album if there was one. If there was one, definitely. Like, like it might depend on the day that I'll skip some. Maybe I won't listen to like the prologue and overture and right, the waltz, right. just because they're more music than than song. But like, oh, right. but then like falling in love with love, like yeah, I have to add that too. I am so upset with myself that I don't listen to that more. Um, and it took me until this viewing to realize that because I sometimes watch the impossible, it's possible sequence. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. cause, just fucking cause. Yeah. But now I think perfect. I'm gonna. But now I think I'm gonna add, uh, falling in love with love, like, to my random YouTube rewatches. I also I, I I like the like when you arrive to the ball and lovely night, um, or when you enter the, was it when you pass through the gates or something like that slash a lovely night, but you know. I don't know that I'd listen to it on the subway all the time. It's, it's pretty set yeah. in its context. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, yeah, but, um, but I do enjoy it in the context of, of the rest of the show. Yeah. And then like the stepsisters lament, it's like, I'm doing laundry and it's on and I'm not going to skip it. <laughs> but I don't need to hear the gavotte. I don't need, I don't need the waltz for the ball that goes on forever. Yeah. no. It's again, it's not the carousel waltz, but, but it's not bad. Oh, <laughs> Well, Aaron, we're done with the episode. 
We did the second chance of Cinderella. Woo! Uh, what do you have to plug or promote? If you'd like to hear more about the tale of Cinderella, some of the variations, and some of the, as John put it, she's a witch folklore that goes into the story. That's honestly, that's exactly what we get into. (laughs) Come over to Storybook, Sacred Lore of Witchcraft. And I have a series of discussions with various special guests where we talk about some of the threads of folklore that, that go into the themes of Cinderella, as well as a couple narrated versions of the tale. That's lovely. Um, And if you, I don't know, we went all over the place this episode. If you we can make sure se- did. If you can make sense of anything we said this episode, email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. Also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. Um, is this your definitive version of Cinderella? I'd like to hear it. Sorry, let me rephrase. Is this your definitive version of the musical version of Cinderella? Because I feel like, like what we were, like what we said, it's, between this and ever after which right about same around the same time everyone so like some 97 98 was a good year for cinderella era of cinderella good good era uh and speaking of a good era of cinderella if you want to be part of next episode's conversation well we're going to be doing the 2021 version of cinderella it's cinderella week everyone yay oh yeah (laughs) that'll make sense when you listen to that episode uh aaron thank you so much for coming back on we need to figure out future episodes when we Uh, talk about cole porter in a few weeks (laughs) cole porter's aladdin oh god um and everyone thank you for listening and bye for now bye bye Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day. <laughs>